1 Kings 20, verse 35. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor in the word of the Lord, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. Then said he unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Then he found another man and said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him, so that in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me. And he said, Keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall thy judgment be. Thyself hast decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face. And the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand, look what the next phrase says, a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. Therefore thy life shall go for his life, thy people for his people. Now we have a very interesting story. A prophet is standing in the way and asks a man to come over and smite him. That's an interesting request. The man refused. He said, I, I can't smite you. I can't hit you. I can't hurt you. You're a man of God. And he sent him away and a lion ate him in the way. Along comes another man and he says, smite me. Well, he must have been quite the boxer because he did quite the job on this prophet and smote him and wounded him. And he disguises himself. Here comes the king. And what this man of God was doing was giving him not just a verbal, but a visual instruction, a word from the Lord. And the word was to Ahab, this wicked king, but basically what he was telling him was, because you let your enemy, Ben-Hadad, live, a sworn enemy, an enemy that was appointed to utter destruction, your life will be given for his life. Now, here's what I want you to do with me. In order to understand this passage, we're going to have to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Look what it says in verse 1. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together. Ben-Hadad was the enemy of Israel. The Syrians were trying to annihilate the Israelites. There were 32 kings with him. Now, what kind of chance did... Ahab stand uh, choosing to fight, really hadn't chosen to do this, but having to fight against 32 kings in alliance of this size with their horses and their chariots. And they were besieging Samaria and warring against it. Now look what he does as these kings, now here's the problem back then in these cities, they had food, they'd shut the walls, they'd close the gates, and they were inside, uh, but the problem was their food would eventually run out. Their source of water and food would dry up. So eventually, they'd have to leave the city. When that happened, the enemy knew they have a choice. Starve to death or open their gates, and we'll destroy them. So as they besieged the city, 
the king sends a messenger with a note to King Ahab. Look what it says in verse 2. He sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said to him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad. Now look at the pleasantness of this note. Thy silver, thy gold is mine. Thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, they're mine. Well, that's pleasant. Wouldn't you like to get a note like that? Now, here's what I want you to think about this evening because we're going to preach a message here symbolically based on this passage. But as Christians, I need you to understand tonight one simple principle, one simple thought, and that is the danger of sin and how we deal with sin. Sin is so destructive, but the average Christian doesn't realize that until it's too late. And every uh, month, I would dare say every week, we hear of another casualty in Christianity. This week, I heard the tragic story of a missionary who allowed sin in his life. And now that marriage has disintegrated. The ministry is over. They're off the field. Tragically, both of them will pay an extremely high price for the sin that they allowed to mature in their life. But worse than that are the children that suffer the consequences of the parents and the poor decisions of the parents. But the bottom line is, really our future depends upon our perspective when it comes to sin and the way we deal with sin and the way we think of sin. Now, normally when we talk of sin, our minds go immediately to adultery or drugs or alcohol or the worst sins. We usually don't identify the sins that are prevalent in our own lives. Jealousy and pride and covetousness, bitterness. Those are the sins that we justify. Those are the sins that we overlook. And it's the ones that we overlook that ultimately will devastate us, devastate our marriages, affect our future. But here's the conflict in Christianity. We're supposed to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is the benefit of that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're really, truly going to walk with God, that means every day you will talk to him, and in talking to him, he'll speak to you through his word. You'll be in that book. There'll be two-way communication that takes place, and he will be convicting you of sin. You'll be addressing and confessing that sin and growing and maturing as a Christian. That should be not something that just happens on Sunday. You shouldn't be waiting for God to speak to you on Sunday or Wednesday night. But your communication should be daily. And you should have your ear tuned in to the Holy Spirit. So if he speaks to you on Monday afternoon, you listen and respond. But the number one problem, now I know when we speak of the enemies of the Christian, we immediately, our mind goes to the flesh, uh, the world, and the devil. But let's be a little bit more specific than that. The biggest enemy is all of those things lead us to sin, and sin is your biggest enemy. The way we deal with sin determines how our longevity in the Christian life and how we'll do in our marriages, in our child rearing, uh, and our personal walk with God. If we don't have a serious attitude when it comes to sin, whatever sin, now all of us have a besetting sin. There's no one here that can say, oh, thank 
God, I have so grown in my Christian life. I have absolutely no besetting sense. I'm your pastor. I wish I could say that. I wish you could look at your pastor and say, thank God we have a nearly perfect pastor with no besetting sins, but you can't. I have a human nature. And I have not just faults and defects, but something worse than that. And that's a tendency to sin. And each one of us have a sin that we know we have to deal with. And regrettably, there are things in your life that you've conquered. You've moved past. You've overcome. And you say, thank God for the grace of God. At the moment of salvation, some of you were able to immediately, you threw away your cigarettes. You never touched another drop of alcohol. You patched up your marriage. You made great progress. But all of us know there, there are, whether that's a singular sin or several sins, that just seem to latch on and linger and hold on and we deal with those things on a regular basis. And sometimes they tend to beat us up. Sometimes we come to church and we know it's the same thing. The Holy Spirit's dealing with us about the same thing. And you say, preacher, you preach on the same thing every service. Well, actually, we record the messages, and we could go over what I preach on. I actually don't preach on the same thing every service. The Holy Spirit is nailing your hide to the wall over the same sin. And here's what we see. The enemy was Ben-Hadad, and Ahab couldn't fully see that and understand that. Now, when we talk about Ben-Hadad being the enemy, what was he saying? Ben-Hadad is so presumptuous that he sends in a note to the city and tells the king, I'm coming for your gold, I'm coming for your silver, I'm coming for your women, and I'm coming for your children. Now, what would you think of a person that knocked on your door and said to you, I'm parked out front, I just want you to know, I only want four things from you. Your silver, your gold your wife, and your children. Now, I know some of you would quickly say, go ahead. <laughs> Help yourself. <laughs> Can you take the kids first? <laughs> Here's what we don't understand about sin. Because we don't have the right perspective, we don't see how awful sin is, how destructive it is. And here's what sin says. It, it tries to put on the face of being kind and friendly and loving when in fact, here's what sin wants out of you. All the best that you have, it wants to take. I'm coming for your family. You know what sin is coming for? You better not worry about your finances because that's the least of your worries. Sin is coming for your marriage. Sin is coming for your children. Now, let's see his response. What would you say in this case if someone came threatened you and said, I'm taking your goods, I'm taking your gold, I'm taking your wife, I'm taking your, if he's from the south, I'm taking your chillins. <laughs> now let's see Ahab being the man that he was. Let's see his response in verse 4. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, this is your enemy. My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have is thine. Wow, that's a man with a noodle for a backbone. I hope you women married someone better than that. Because if someone comes beating on your door with a gun and says, I want your wife, your children, and your gold, and he says, 
Help yourself. It's time to find a real man. Here's what's sad. Sin is so desirable. I've seen it dozens of times that someone would say, you know what, I'd rather give away those things that are most precious to me than give up this sin. I'd rather sacrifice my marriage than give up my pride. I'd rather sacrifice my children than give up this job. I would rather sacrifice my future than confess what the Holy Spirit is dealing with me about. It's amazing. This is total surrender. You rarely see someone have this attitude when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to God Almighty, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and His working in our hearts. Rare is the case that someone says, God, my gold, my silver, my wife, my children, everything I have is yours. It's not very common. But when we're dealing with sin, ultimately we have to make a choice. I'm going to continue in this sin. I'm going to continue in this path. I'm not going to give this up. Although it costs me, my family, although ultimately, and it will cost you. And the first thing it will cost you is your children. Those sins that we want to hide and like to hide and think that they've been hidden and stayed hidden, be careful you will reap the consequence in your children. Now look what happens. The only problem with sin, the only problem with the enemy is it's never satisfied. So now let me ask you this. You would think Ben-Hadad would be happy because he said, I'm coming for your gold, your silver, your women, your children. And the king said, go ahead, help yourself. You would think that the enemy, that sin would say, okay, good. No. Is sin ever satisfied? Sin will plunder everything you have. Listen, sin will plunder your testimony. Sin will plunder your purity. Sin will plunder your marriage. Sin will plunder your peace of mind. Sin will never be satisfied until it's destroyed every good thing in your life. So look what happens. The messengers, verse 5, came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying... Although I have sinned unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver, thy gold, thy wives, and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the house of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Now, wait a minute. So he sends another note. And he says, You know that agreement about we're coming for your gold and your silver and your women and your children? That's not enough. I'm going to send my servants with their dirty shoes to walk in your house, and they're going to take a good look. Now, something interesting is stated here that I think we overlook. He didn't say my servants are going to take what is goodly in their eyes. He said they're going to take what is goodly in your eyes. So they're going to look around and say, what is important to this man? This is what we're taking. That is the enemy. That's the way sin works. Now, here's what we've got to understand as Christians. Too often, we have that sin in our life. We've identified it. Maybe no one else has. The problem is we don't have a proper perspective and we don't understand. We ultimately think, I can get away with this sin. Oh, you may for a year or two years, five years, eight years, maybe even for 10 years. But that sin, that enemy ultimately is coming for 
your goods, your family, your wife, your children, and that enemy won't stop nor be satisfied with the destruction of your marriage or your financial ruin or by taking your peace of mind or by running over your testimony. Sin is never satisfied with just that. He said, I'm going to send my servants in. And suddenly Ahab got a backbone. Here's what's amazing. He said, listen, everything else you said and everything else you asked for, you can have it. But you're not going to send your servants in with their dirty shoes. You say, man, that man was crazy. Ahab was out of his mind. Ahab was saying, you can take my goods, my gold, my wife, and my children, but don't walk in with your dirty shoes and take my trinkets. You know, we're not willing to give up in life. We're willing to sacrifice our marriage. We're willing to sacrifice our peace in the home. We're willing to sacrifice our children, but they're trinkets. Now listen, that's where the line is drawn. You can have everything good that I have, but you're not taking my tree. You're not going to touch my car. You're not going to talk about, you, you know what you get upset about when it comes to missions conference? Someone mentions purses and you're upset because they're talking about your trinkets. Someone says, yeah, you go to your closet and you got 86 pair of shoes and you're like. <laughs> you can touch a lot of things, but you better not touch my trinkets. Amazing how silly we are. And imagine how Ahab's wives and children felt when they said, you wouldn't stand up for us, you wouldn't defend us. But now that he wants to send the servants in for your trinkets, that's where you draw the line. Now, here's the bottom line. Ultimately, we will not be successful in the battle against sin in our lives. Unless we have a proper perspective that says, it doesn't matter what the sin is. If I allow sin, that may be the sin of laziness. That may be the sin of apathy. It may be the sin of not developing a personal relationship with God. It may be the sin of immodesty. It may be the sin of dishonesty. It may be the sin of hatred. I don't know what that sin is. You know what that sin is. But somehow in your mind you've continued. Doesn't matter who preaches it, what pastor comes. Doesn't matter how many times the Holy Spirit's dealt with it. Doesn't matter the verses that you've read. You've, in your mind, you have found a way. Oh, if the preacher preached against drinking, hey, man, glory. What a powerful, powerful message that was. And if he preaches on the home, you have a good home. Thank God we need a week of that, brother. Can you bring in Brother Davis next year? Can you bring in Brother Benny next year? Can you bring in these men? We need hammer home on the marriage preacher. But you get a message in here, you get a pastor in here to preach on pride, and we'll address those sins that are easy to confront and address and confess. Every single person in here has sins that you've overcome by the grace of God. And you look at those and you say, thank God I gave that up. And thank God I've made progress. And thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit. But deep down, you know those other two that you put way down in the back pocket. And you said, those are untouchable. I don't care who preaches on that. I don't care what verse you read, preacher. Be careful. 
Because there was a perspective here. He looked at his enemy. No matter what his enemy said, he was going to take. Ahab said, uh. Now, here's what's amazing. Ben-Hadad was despicable. What would he have done to Ahab and Samaria and those Jews? What would he have done to them if he had been given the chance? What do you think those 32 kings would have done to that city? Totally plundered. They would have taken those women... Who knows the despicable things they would have done to those women and children? They would have slain the men. Now, is this someone that you would consider a friend, a buddy, a cohort, a companion? Now, here's what God did. God said in verse 13, Behold, there came a prophet, Nahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Hast thou seen all this great multitude? How many ever looked at a sin? How many ever looked at an enemy? How many ever looked at a problem and said, boy, this is a great problem? You realize it. You said, you know what? I don't know if I can get victory over this. I simply... How many of you have ever looked at one of your sins that you were dealing with as if it were the size of an army of 32 kings? And you said, God, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get victory over this. And you tried, and you made promises. And you took a look, you said, well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I say this, maybe if I confess this. But you're battling the same battle, and you're looking at that battle as an army of 32 kings that you simply can't conquer. Now look what the Bible says. God said, I will deliver it unto thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Now, God had promised him victory over 32 kings. And here's Ahab. Come and take it. Come and get it. You want my trinkets? Okay, you, you're asking for a fight now. If you're coming for my shoes, Buster, we're going to have to pull out our swords. So they go to battle. God gives them the victory. Now, it's not just a matter of having the proper perspective but it's a matter of having a proper plan and what ultimately is the plan that you should have when dealing with the sin in your life. Now, folks, we can read the Bible because the Bible is just full of examples. It doesn't matter if it's Abram or Lot or you throw out any example that you want. You'll see the destructiveness of sin. In each case, it was a different sin. But sin is totally destructive. It's amazing to think about the potential this morning on the way into school. In our Bible listening, on our Bible app, we were listening about King Saul. And it's amazing to think all the potential at the anointed of God, the handpicked by God Almighty and everything that he had going in his favor. But what was Saul's downfall? Ultimately, the way he dealt with sin personally in his life was his downfall. He just refused to deal with his sin. He refused to humble himself, admit, confess, forsake. He treated the enemy as if the enemy were a friend. Now, you can't just have the proper perspective. You have to have a plan of attack, and that plan of attack is found in verse 42. What's the plan of attack? And he said to him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. How many times have you let that sin go? You let that sin live another day. 
Now it's because of your perspective. Because when he had conquered, when, he, when God brought the victory and he comes across the king, King Ben-Hadad, that had recently sent notes to him saying, your goods are mine, your gold is mine, your wives are mine, your children are mine. Now he has a chance to defeat his enemy. Let's see what he does. Verse 32, or let's go back to verse 31 for just a minute. His servant said unto him, these are the servants of Ben-Hadad. They know, especially in Old Testament times, the, the king that was conquered was going to be killed, slain immediately. But look what the servant said unto him. Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel, they are merciful. This is what you call a carnal mercy. Oh, how I've seen people over the years of ministry trumpet their carnal mercy. You're not supposed to be merciful with sin. Oh, how people love to say, oh, preacher, I'm just showing mercy. You're showing mercy on the wrong things. Why don't you show mercy and get the gospel out to the lost sinner so that he can be saved from the eternal torments of hell? That would be wonderful mercy to show. But we show mercy on the wrong things. He said, the kings of Israel, they're merciful kings. Let us, I pray, thee, put sackcloth on our loins, ropes upon our heads, go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure, he will save thy life. How many times have you saved the life of your pet sin? I mean, you came down to the altar and God worked with you and the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, he beat you up in the service. You came down here, you wept, oh God, I'm going to take care of that. And then the very next day, listen, we've watched kids go to camp. I thank God for camps and you bring in preachers and they preach against every sin and when they've run out of sins, they invent sins. They preach against everything. They'll preach against rock music. Uh, you know, we were in Mexico those nine years uh, we started those churches and you're constantly winning people and bringing them in discipling. And every year after camp, we would collect the garbage and kids would bring their immodest clothes and kids would bring their cassette tapes and others would simply take that music, put it in a box, tape it up, and put it in the top of their closet. What's the problem with that? How long is it going to stay in the top of your closet? About a week. Maybe 10 days. Maybe 10 hours. You know why? You didn't utterly destroy that sin. So, I've watched couples get into trouble and one of them begins to stray. You need to cut this off. You need to eliminate this temptation. You need to make sure this person is not involved in your life. Oh, preacher, as long as I don't see them for an extended period of time, I'm okay. And sin is never truly dealt with. Just put it in a box. Here's what the king said. Maybe... Ahab will spare my life. You know what? The enemy won't spare your life. Sin will not spare your family, your life. Ultimately, you let that sin live. He said, maybe he'll save my life. Now look what happens, verse 32. So they girded sackcloth on their loins, put ropes on their heads. They came to the king of Israel. And they said, thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. Doesn't sin always say that? Yes, I'll shake my head for you. Sin always is, says the same thing. Oh, I'm not that terrible. Come on. 
Come on, I'm only country and western. Come on. I'm not rap. I'm not rock and roll. I'm not filthy. You're not bitter. It's just there's a lot of bad people around you. <laughs> he said, the enemy said, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, is he yet alive? Now, this is Ahab talking about Ben-Hadad, the same man that just said, I'm going to take your gold, I'm going to take your silver, I'm going to take your wives, I'm going to take your children. Look what Ahab says of Ben-Hadad. He is my what? Whoa, help me out here. This man was just coming for your life and for your wife and for your children and for your gold. And you're saying, how is he doing? How is my bro doing? Be careful before you point the finger. How many times have we done this with sin in our life? Because as soon as a preacher preaches, and as soon as a principle is hit, and as soon as a message stirs our heart, we walk out and get in the car, get angry. He's attacking my brother. No, that's your enemy. Now, here's what the enemy wants. Look what verse 33 says. The men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. You know what Satan does? You know what sin does? Sin is just looking for a weakness. I've watched, man, I'm telling you what, I've watched people come down, confess sin, make things right, hug a brother. I, I watched kids at camp. I mean, they've made phone calls. Mom, I want to make this right. I'm going to change this. I'm going to throw this out. And as soon as they go home, Satan is just waiting for a weakness. So just seeing, okay, where's the weakness? And here's what the, here's what the enemy did. They, they were just looking for anything weak in Ahab that would let Ben-Hadad live another day. And they did hastily catch it. They said, listen, he said, brother, he's not going to take his life. Now, here's what's amazing. I have a question for you before we read verse 34. Who, who threatened who? Ben-Hadad threatened Ahab. What kind of threat was this? I'm coming into your... How many of you like someone saying, I'm coming for you. I'm coming in your house, bro. No invitation. You know that lovely lady? You married? She's gone. You know those lovely kids? They're gone. You see these shoes? I'm leaving my imprint all over your house. I'm going to walk on your table and your furniture. And everything that I think you might like, I'm taking it. Are you still up to calling me bro? Not at that moment. Hold on for a minute. So Ahab through the mercy and might of God, defeats these 32 kings. And when he's done, he catches up with Ben-Hadad, pulls him into the chariot, and they have a little conversation. Verse 34. Ben-Hadad came forth at the end of verse 33, comes up to the chariot. Look what he says. Ben-Hadad says unto him, says unto Ahab. Ben-Hadad the loser. Ben-Hadad the defeated king. Ben-Hadad the one with his neck in the noose, says to Ahab, the conqueror, Oh, the cities which my father took from thy father, I'll restore, and thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him, sent him away. Who's making the terms of surrender? 
The enemy, defeated, who shouldn't even live, says, hey, here's, here's what we'll do. To make things right, you know those cities that my dad took? You can have them back. And you know, I, saw, I noticed a few of your streets need paved. We'll go ahead and pave that for you, old buddy, old pal. It's just because we're good people. Me and you, bro. I, I'm glad we settled this in a good way, a Christian way. I'm, I'm glad we made peace and everything's cool. Do you see how sin works? You know what we've done? We've learned to coexist with that sin. Instead of utterly destroying it. What is that sin that you just let live and has nine lives? Because you've addressed it and confessed it in some way. That sin has found a weakness in your life. And instead of utterly being destroyed, you just let it live. Oh, you made a peace pact. It has to be quiet. It has to stay hidden. can't be out of control. But live on, it shall. That's what the whole prophecy was that we read initially in the text. The prophecy was the man of God coming to Ahab and saying, Ahab, you didn't deal with Ben-Hadad. You didn't deal with the enemy as God told you to deal with the enemy because God anointed that man and appointed that man to utter destruction. But you have looked at that enemy with the wrong perspective. Your plan from the beginning was an utter destruction. Your plan from the beginning was just peace. Let's just live and let live. I don't want to seem like an extremist. That enemy's not really a bad guy. I mean, he's going to pave a few of my streets. Now, let me ask you this. What was the prophecy in verse 42? Go back with me. He said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life. Be careful. Because this story always comes with a painful ending. Go with me to chapter 22. Micaiah comes to Ahab, the king of Israel, verse 26, and prophesies to him his death. And look how the king of Israel, Ahab, responds. Verse 26, the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and with the water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return it all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. You know what? The man of God had already said, You allow this man to live. You allow this enemy to live. It's going to kill you. Now, here's what. If it were drugs you were dealing with, you know what? You see that. Oh, man. If they keep taking drugs, it's going to kill them. It's going to destroy them. We have a friend that was studying pastoral theology in college, got hooked on cocaine while studying to be a preacher. It destroyed his life. Oh, but we can see the effects of cocaine. We can see the effects of alcohol. Well, what about the effect of bitterness? What about the effect of carnality? What about the effect of duplicity? What about the sin of dishonesty? 
What about the sin that, that you're harboring, that hatred that you have for that person that just continues to grow and eat at you? Now, I'm, I'm talking tonight about your sin. And the man of God has to play the bad guy. What did the king think about this man of God? He said, go lock, go lock him up, put him in jail until I come home. And the prophet said, I ain't getting out of jail because you're not coming home. Look what happens. Here's, here's what we think. Here's what human nature thinks. In verse um, 30, the king of Israel, Ahab, says in Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. He said, oh, it's not a problem. I'm not going to have to pay for the sin. I know what the prophet said. I know what Micaiah said. I know what everyone's thinking. I'm going to pay because I let Ben-Hadad live and blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're going to do. Just to protect myself in case they might be right. How about you put on the king's robes and I'll go out there in one of the cheaper chariots and act like a common soldier. And he's riding around. He's watching the battle. He's fine. Suddenly, in the midst of his right, oh, 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 oh. A pain he's never felt before because back then they made arrows with limbs, and the points were made out of rock. And someone at a venture, look what it says in verse 34. And a certain man drew a bow at venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. Can you imagine the feeling of having one of those arrows come through your shoulder blades and right out below. Listen, it probably did not have a force, but the, here's what the Holy Spirit did. God Almighty took that arrow and guided it right to the chariot. How in the world could a chariot with a disguised man and fleeing horses be hit by an archer at venture? And there's the king. He's in the chariot. Now, can you imagine the movement of a chariot when you have an arrow with a hand-carved rock that's gone through your back and through that muscle and is now stuck internally? Every movement is raking and cutting and slicing your intestines, your organs, He's, he's trying to slow that chariot. Blood is dripping out of his mouth. I wonder what's going through his mind. Oh, he's right. Ben, hey, dad. Ben, hey, dad. That prophecy? So you know that enemy? You know that sin that you let live? That sin that you hid? That sin you coexisted with? That thing that you said wasn't so bad? Um... Read verse 35. The battle increased that day. The king was stayed upon his chariot against who? Wait, it gets worse. Yeah, that was Ben Hadad's group that came back. That man you let live that said, I'm coming for your gold and your silver and your wives and your children. He said, ultimately, my goal is your life. 
I want to ruin everything good that you have. Now, hold on for a second. The way that arrow fell and pierced his body, he had to live hours, the Bible says. He made it till even with that rock in his chest and that arrow out his back. Blood coming out of his mouth. And he watched as the Syrians slew his army, plundered his city. And he said, maybe Bitten Hayden wasn't such a nice guy after all. You say, preacher, what are you trying to tell us? I'm not trying to tell you anything. I think God's trying to tell us something. I think God is trying to tell us when it comes to the enemy, we better have the right perspective. We better have the right plan, which is utter destruction. And when we deal with sin in our lives, folks, you've seen it. And here's the amazing thing is, we think we're the exception, but each one of you, if you have been a Christian for more than a year or two, you have seen someone that played with sin and said, it's not affecting me. It's not hurting me. It's not going to mess with my family. Trust me. It won't affect my marriage. I'll be okay. We'll come out okay. How did it turn out? And then you saw them with the arrow. You saw the end. And if we as Christians don't say, okay, Holy Spirit, whatever you're dealing with me about, I don't want to just confess. I want to annihilate. I want to make sure to get total victory. Because ultimately, while you live with whatever sin it is that you're dealing with, that covetousness is eating at you. And every day, you've got to have something else to make you happy. That discontentment, you just cannot be happy. That bitterness, I still don't understand can't believe God would allow that to happen and happen and happen and happen and happen again and happen again and happen again. Be careful. Because ultimately, you allow that sin to continue in your life. It will come back and destroy you. And Ahab lay there in his own blood and said, Hmm, I guess Ben Hadad wasn't my brother after all. I think I made a mistake. What was the problem? He just realized it too late.